to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. All right, welcome everyone back to the Mind for Life podcast. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and I will be your host for the next half hour or so, where we hopefully can investigate some of the things that will help you to think, learn, and live a little bit better. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get started, I want to just mention that the show notes for this program, and we're going to be talking about a life of continual learning. Why personal development is such a huge thing for each and every one of us. The show notes, as I mentioned, are available at mindforlife.org slash zero five zero. Yes, it's hard to believe this is our 50th program, and I want to thank all of you so much for listening. This, again, is part of our 52 Essential Skills course. And throughout the year of 2018, we are dealing with one of 52 essential skills each week. So each week, we're going to work on one of the essential skills. And this week, we have been working on the essential skill of continual learning. How to learn and how to make personal development and continual learning a regular part of your life and why it is so essential for success. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I want to encourage you, again, the show notes are at mindfullife.org slash 050, but you can also join with us on this personal development journey back at the very beginning of this year and actually even into December of 2017, I wanted to take a personal development journey myself and to think about what was I going to do for 2018? How was I going to improve? What was I going to learn? What was I going to focus on for 2018? And so I came up with 52 skills that I consider to be essential things that you need in order to be successful in life. And these have to do with our relationships with other people, with our job, with how we get along, with how we see ourselves and perceive ourselves in the world, with how we find happiness and fulfillment. These are the things that I think are essential for accomplishing all of that, how we find meaning, how we find purpose, how we live a successful life. And so we've been working on those, and you can join that program. If you go to our website, you can click and download the Essential Skills free assessment. And that is basically um, a question and answer that you go through. Each one of the 52 Essential Skills, get a short description of what each one is, and then get an opportunity to rate yourself on that skill um, to determine whether you are not so good, whether you're okay, uh, or that you are completely rocking that skill and doing an incredible job there. And so you can complete that assessment for yourself and you can ask maybe someone who's very close to you, who knows you, to complete that assessment about you. And then there's an opportunity for you to write down the top 10, your top 10 skills. In other words, the things that you're doing extremely well, but also maybe some of the ones that you need the most work on. 
and in our Facebook community, and there will be a link again on the show notes page, you can follow along with us where we encourage one another, share resources, and walk through these essential skills together. So all of that, the links to all of that are right on our webpage. You can go there and join up with us. Now, let's talk about continual learning. Why do we need to learn as a regular part of our life? Let me give you a couple of quotes by a gentleman who has maybe been considered the the father, if you will, of personal development. His name is Jim Rohn, and we've talked about him on this podcast. And here's some of the things that he said about continual learning. If you don't know his story, he dropped out of college after one year. He was very successful as a high school student, did very well. But when he was in college, he dropped out, left to take a job for $57 a week as a store clerk at a department store, stocking shelves. He eventually would go on to become a millionaire at 31 years old, vice president of a major company, spoke around the world to hundreds of thousands of people, authored 17 books, mentored people like Tony Robbins, uh, and a ton of other things. So how likely is it that someone who dropped out of college, who obviously felt that college was not necessary, ended up becoming one of the most prolific and influential speakers in the area of education, personal development, and self-improvement. How is that? Well, that's an individual who figured it out, that personal growth, that personal development, that continual learning was the key to success. And in fact, that's what he said. If you want to get more in life, You must become more than you are. Um, Some of his quotes, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Learning is the beginning of wealth. Learning is the beginning of health. Learning is the beginning of spirituality. Searching and learning is where the miracle process all begins. Formal education will make you a living. Self-education, personal development, in other words, will make you a fortune. Miss a meal if you have to, but don't miss a book. And Jim Rohn, an incredibly successful person by all accounts, credited his success to his philosophy of personal growth, personal development, and learning. Now, If you're like me, you know millions of people, well, maybe not millions, you know people that have graduated from college and ended their journey of learning. They didn't read a book. I've talked with people that I've graduated college with. I've talked with people that I've graduated college with. I asked them, have you read any book? I haven't read a thing since college. I haven't done anything since college outside of my job. And some people don't even care about that. I can't tell you the number of people who I talk to when you ask them, what have you read this last year? They don't have an answer. They haven't read a book in the past year. And these excuses, we all make them, we've maybe all made them in the past, um, can become just all too common, right? Life gets in the way. Oh, I'm too busy to learn or to read or to grow. I don't know what to read. Um, All of these excuses are things that we must overcome. 
Have you said any of those yourself? The real problem when it comes to learning and to developing the habit of continual learning is overcoming some of the obstacles. So what are some of the obstacles to developing the habit of continual learning? I think the first one is contentment. We get content with life as it is. And in my article on how to develop continual learning in your life and why it will lead you to a potential for greater success in your life, I think of contentment like a warm blanket on a cold night. You know, we just get content with where life is. And there's something about maybe our psychological makeup that, you know, once we kind of get stuck into patterns, into habits, and we get stuck, maybe if you want to say, in the rut of life, we just get caught traveling down that same path. If we're content, we usually just stay there. We don't usually do something else. And I guess you might consider this kind of like the hero's journey. You know, if, you, if you've if you read about the hero's journey or read Joseph Campbell or seen Star Wars, you know, what happens is people are content. They're living their life. They're doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, what happens to the hero? Some devastating thing happens in life and it start, it, it pulls them out of their contentment. And so usually we don't make changes until something happens in our life that pulls us out of our contentment. For Luke Skywalker, right, what happened? Obi-Wan Kenobi comes, there's this droid, there's all of a sudden an awareness that there's this battle, you know, intergalactic battle going on. His aunt and uncle are killed, and now he must enter into this new adventure. And Luke Skywalker probably wasn't going to learn anything new, right? He couldn't learn the Jedi ways until he got out of his life of contentment. And fortunately for him, external circumstances conspired against him to pull him out of his contentment. And for a lot of us, we don't have those external circumstances that often. Sometimes tragedies strike and things take place. We lose a job or something like that uh, that forces us to kind of deal with our situation. But if we're content and we're just kind of going through life, um, we're typically just going to stay on that path. And so you've got to figure out how to overcome contentment. How do you get out of it? And uh, I I think that contentment kind of works like a force that pushes back on our ambition. In other words, when we have an idea, when we say, I want to do this or I want to do something more, contentment kind of holds us back. It kind of, you know, think of it like maybe a glass ceiling. Oh, it gets so far, but yeah, I'm kind of happy with the way things are right now. You know, everything seems to be going okay. It may not be the best, but it's not bad enough that I need to break through that barrier of contentment. And so um, the first thing you need to be to figure out how to do is to overcome that. You need to learn how to become dissatisfied with what's going on. How many times do people go through life and say, yeah, one day I'm going to do this. People have dreams. People have desires. People want to do something. And one, you know, one day I'm going to do it. But one day never comes. Why? Because 
They're just content with the way things are. So the first step is to become dissatisfied. Maybe you'll be fortunate that external circumstances will conspire against you and pull you out of your life of contentment. Sometimes the greatest fears that we have when they come true can be the best benefits or blessings in our life because they force us to do something that we should have done but probably never would have unless those circumstances didn't take place. The problem is when those circumstances don't come against us. How do we become dissatisfied? So we've got to overcome contentment. Number two, there's difficulty in learning, right? If you've ever been in school and maybe you went to a school that was not challenging and you basically had to sit there in class and you would get an A, well, that's not the way it's supposed to work, right? Learning isn't easy, but at the same time, it's not really that hard Most of the time, it's just an inconvenience. It's dedicating our time. But at the same time, learning learning forces us to do something that our entire culture is conditioning us not to do. And what do I mean by that? Technology has given us some phenomenal tools, right? It's given us things that make our lives easier. It's given us things uh, to make uh, life faster and more efficient and to take away uh, work from us. But in doing so, these technologies have created an environment which has rewired our neurological circuits. What do I mean by that? While the internet has given us all of the information we want, we don't have to really remember anything. If you want to know something, you can just like press the button and ask Suri, hey, what's the answer to this? Or do a quick Google search and find, you know, 100 million pages on it. But the technology itself, in other words, what do we get when we engage with that medium, with the computer, with the smartphone? What happens to our brains? And, and, and there's something different that happens to our brains when we read a book than when we surf a web page. We might think, oh, we're still reading text. But on the web page, there are banner ads and hyperlinks and um, different images that distract us from following the linear argument that may be being presented to us through the actual text. In a book with pages, um, unless there's pictures on those pages, we don't usually have to contend with those distractions. And what has happened since the advent, maybe you could say, of television and computers and internet, our ability to intensely focus on subjects for long periods of of, uh, time has declined. We have an attention deficit, right? Our span of attention, our length of attention has declined. Nicholas Carr talks about in this, uh, this very thing in his book, The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains. Well, the media that we use, whether it be books or television or computers or 
um, listening to a podcast. Those media restructure our brains and force us to learn in the ways that they present information to us. So a video presents information to us much differently than a book does. And when we watch a video, instead of reading a book, we learn differently. Our minds are rewired in different ways to accommodate the medium. So the re- part of the reason why learning is difficult is because when you read books, it requires your brains to do something that they've been programmed not to do. To sit down and read for an hour requires certain, um, you might call them neurological powers that things like television and smartphones and computers and internet has robbed from you. To focus on a subject for an extended period of time and, and follow a linear argument that kind of like what you get in a book is, is really foreign to us because we don't do that with smartphones and, and internet. We don't usually follow long, drawn out lines of argument. We get bored. We get distracted. Our attention can't be sustained. In fact, they will tell you when you write articles for a web or for a blog, you need to write it in small paragraphs so people can skim through it. Because if it's a long, dense paragraph, they won't read it. Why? It just, they're not conditioned to be able to do it. We're not conditioned. The media that we use have conditioned us to um, consume content in different ways. So learning by reading books is difficult. The good news is we have another superpower that we can employ at our disposal to combat this very situation. It's neuroplasticity. Our brains can change. You might say, oh, I can never read a book for an hour. I promise you that if you start spending time reading on a regular basis five minutes, 10 minutes, that eventually you'll be able to read a book for an hour and potentially even two hours and three hours. It's just a matter if you want to do it or not. Your brain can be rewired. Science shows that. It's not just some pipe dream. It's a fact. It just takes effort, time, and consistency to make that happen. You can overcome the difficulty. And the third, maybe the biggest excuse for learning is time. There's no time. Life is too busy. We all say things like, when I get home from work, I will need some time for myself. I just need to be able to kick back and relax. I I need some, you know, brain candy. I need to, you know, stop uh, expending too much mental energy and just kind of like let stuff happen to me. I need to be entertained. And there's no doubt that we all need to be entertained. But the fact is, our time is precious. And the reason it's precious is because it's limited. I don't care what you do. You only have 24 hours every day. You only have seven days a week. You only have 52 weeks a year. And you only have about 80 to 85, if you take the average, years in your life. Nobody can escape that. Even if they say, oh, we are going to prolong our lives to 100 years. Well, it hasn't happened yet. People are still dying at around 80, 85, 90 years old. So until they find ways through technology to prolong your life for 300 years or upload your intelligence to some kind of computer, 
Your time is limited. You can only make do with the time you have allotted. And that applies to everybody on the planet. You can only rearrange or reprioritize the time that's available to you. Now, you might say, well, my entertainment is important to me. And that's all well and good. We all make value judgments in our life on what's important and what we're going to focus our time on. But I promise you, if you don't focus some of your time on learning, on getting better, on developing yourself, you will go no farther than you are now. And if you're content with where you are now, that's fine as well. We all, as I said, make value judgments. So what are you going to do with your time? How can you make time to develop and implement a habit of reading or continual learning? Listen, you can listen to a podcast on your way to work. I've learned a ton through podcasts just by listening on my way to work instead of turning on the dumb sports channel or instead of listening to music. You can educate yourself with a podcast. You can listen to books on tape or audiobooks while you're driving in the car. When you're working out, you can listen to a podcast. You can take time to get up a little bit earlier in the morning to read a book. It's just a matter of priorities. The lack of time isn't an excuse for not developing a habit. It's just a matter of what you want to do with the time that you have available to you. So overcoming the obstacle of time, overcoming the obstacle of contentment, overcoming the obstacle of difficulty, right? We can overcome those obstacles. It's possible to do that. It's just a matter of doing it. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, there's three ways, I think. Number one, you have to understand why it's valuable. Why continual learning is an important thing. Is it a coincidence Is it a coincidence that some of the most successful people in the world are continual learners? Is that just happenstance? That people like Warren Buffett spend five to six hours a day reading. Bill Gates reads one to two books a week. Mark Cuban reads more than three hours a day. Some of our most successful presidents have been avid readers. They say that Teddy Roosevelt read a book a day. Thomas Jefferson read, not only in English, but French, Italian, and Spanish. He even designed a rotating book stand so he could consult five books at once. And the list of our presidents and the famous people who read and who are continual learners uh, continual learners goes on and on. In fact, there was a gentleman who did a study of 1,200 wealthy people trying to distill what were the common characteristics. In other words, when you look at people who have made a lot of money and who have achieved success maybe in certain ways that we would all say, oh yeah, I would say that that is successful in some way. When he, when he tried to distill that, one of the common factors was they all read books. They all made it a priority to read and to learn. And it wasn't for entertainment. We can read books for entertainment, sure, and we should read books for entertainment. But those people who read, read for self-education. 
It's a constant. That's one of the constants. And you might argue and say, oh, well, that's not the thing that made them successful. And it doesn't mean that if you commit your life to continual learning that you're going to eventually become Warren Buffett. It doesn't mean that if you say, I'm going to spend four to six hours every day reading newspapers, reading books, studying my stuff, that you're going to be Warren Buffett. But I can promise you this, if you don't read four to six hours every day, you're probably not going to become Warren Buffett because the things that people like Warren Buffett uh, and Mark Cuban and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg even, the things that get them to that level, they learn through a life of continual improvement. Continual learning doesn't guarantee your success. It just puts you in a position to succeed. It puts you in an elite category with other successful people. Um, so it's important. Number two, how do you overcome the obstacles? You got to find ways to cultivate and develop your curiosity. I think learning is as much an attitude as it is a discipline, and it's both. But developing an attitude of curiosity starts with a few simple questions. Why? How? And what? I don't know if you ever had an experience of talking with a toddler who was just, you know, right at the point of starting to discover certain things and start to ask questions about, you know, the world. And uh, to watch them and to listen to them, sometimes it can be frustrating because they always ask the question, why? Well, why this? Well, because we do this because of that. Well, why do we do that? Well, we do that because of this. Well, why do they do that? You know, it's just kind of why, why, why? And and you you see what's going on in their, in their brain. You see what's going on in their neurological process. They're trying to get to the bottom of something. They're trying to discover. There's a curiosity there for the world. And at some point, we lose that. Maybe it has to do with formal schooling. Maybe it has to do with the fact that um, learning gets associated with hard work and discipline. We don't want to sit in class and it can be boring. Maybe we've had bad teachers that have predisposed us to have negative perceptions about learning and we lose that. But we, we got to overcome that. We have to foster that natural curiosity. got to find ways to ask questions, to explore, to learn something new, to read new books. You know, think about it. We go through life, we go through life with what I would call black boxes. Things that just happen that we take for granted, but we don't understand. Do you know how your car engine works? Most people say, oh, it's got something to do with gas and, I don't know, pistons or whatever and things turn. You know, we, we, we just take it for granted that our, we get in our car, we turn the key and it works and it moves us forward. Do you know how your smartphone works? There's very few people on the planet that understand how a smartphone works and what goes into the computer processing and what goes into the software. We don't know how it works, or how our computers work, that it's all based on zeros and ones. And if you said, you know, your entire computer, your entire internet is based on zeros and one binary code. People go, well, how does that work? We don't know, but we take it for granted. It's there in front of us. We type, we send an email and it goes out. We look at our Facebook feed, but we don't know how it works. And these black boxes are all around us. It's a great opportunity to investigate 
these things, and even more so than these little black boxes, how do things like good and evil work? Where do we get those conceptions from? Are they just social constructs, things that we've been programmed to accept because of society, or are they transcendent values, right? To explore those things, to investigate those things. Um, As my professor said, any idiot can have an opinion. It doesn't take anybody to have an opinion, but to make an informed decision, to explore, to investigate, to research, to find that out, to learn, right? That takes some time. And once you learn, once you commit yourself to learning, you know what you find? You find that there's a whole lot you don't know. That's one of the things that happened to me is, you know, I've gone through this process of getting degrees and working on a PhD. And when you work on a PhD, you're working in all this stuff and figuring all this stuff out. And then you realize, boy, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff out there. And to think that I have any, you know, corner on some type of knowledge, you realize, boy, I am a neophyte, right? There's a lot to learn. And so it gives you what uh, what one of my professors would call an intellectual humility. You may know some things about something, but you more more than likely recognize that you don't know a heck of a lot about anything. And there's tons to learn. So uh, cultivate a curiosity. And then I think uh, that, that deals with the attitude of learning. And then the last part is developing a practice, right? Developing a habit. What are some practices that you can develop for continual learning? I'm going to give you one. Read a book a week. Oh, I could never do that. I could never read a book a week. It takes me so long. I'm going to tell you how I read books. And this comes from my PhD professor. A shout out to Dr. Traup on this one. You read a book a week by doing a process called, I don't know if you want to call it skimming, but... It's a technique to like get out the majority of the material. Um, if you're familiar with the Pareto Principle at all, the Pareto Principle says that 20% of the book gives us 80% of the content. And when you're reading through a book, you're basically on the first read trying to find out if it has valuable content, valuable information in there that you think is important that you may want to go back. So the first read through a book is, I'm going to skim through this thing. I'm going to get a basic understanding of the argument, the main points and everything like that to determine whether or not it's something I want to go back and that it has value for me to really look into deeper. And here's how you do it. Number one, you read the introduction. Couple page introduction. What happens in an introduction of a book? The author outlines where they're going what the point of it is, how they came to determine the point of it, and what they're planning on doing with the rest of the book. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a basic outline. You read through the table of contents. Table of contents shows you, okay, these are the main things that this guy's going to talk about. Then, as you read through it, you read the first paragraph of each chapter. The first paragraph is usually an introduction to that chapter. Then you read the first sentence of every paragraph in the chapter. And that kind of gives you an overview of the argument and main points. And then you read the last paragraph of each chapter. And you work your way through the book like that. You can read a 250-page book in an hour just by doing that. Then you kind of read the conclusion. 
When you do that, you get the main idea, you get the flow, you get the argument, you get the perspective, and maybe you get some main points. And while you're doing that, you maybe have a pencil and you just highlight a couple things that are really important to you that stand out from you in the book. Now, you might say, that's cheating. Well, when I was doing, uh, and I'm still doing my PhD work, my professors would say, you can't read it all. You can't, <laughs> you know, we, I had to read two and three books a week and still read a book a week now. You can't, you can't, you don't, there's just not enough time in the day to do all the reading. And then you have to write the papers and everything like that. And you've got to teach class. There's just not enough time. You have to find ways to get through the content, to get the stuff that you need out of it. And this is just one way of doing it. So if PhDs are doing it and they are, I'm going to say it's okay for you. It's not cheating. So uh, go ahead, start reading, pick one book out. And it can be on something that is important to you. It can be on personal development, can be on personal growth. I have a list on my website of some of the best books on the planet. You can find that at uh, the page for the show notes for this. But commit to reading one book a week. Uh, commit time. Number two, find a time. Set aside a dedicated time each day or five days a week where you can give 15 to 30 minutes. You can start with just 15 minutes. You can do it in the morning, you can do it in the evening, just do it. Find a time, make a commitment, and here's how you keep yourself accountable to that. Find a partner, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a friend, maybe with a mentor. When we read and learn with someone else, it keeps us accountable. It helps us with our motivation. Um, join a book club, find a friend, put it out there on the internet and social media, ask your friends to keep you account, whatever it is that works for you, but find someone to join you on the journey. And why is that important? It also helps you to talk with them, to, to digest that content, to talk with them about that. What did you think of this? What did you think of this point? Right? That's how learning takes place. So it is vital, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many, many successful people, it's vital to develop a habit of continual learning in your life. It's important to develop that skill. You can do it, and I want to encourage you to make sure that is a priority in your life. One of the ways you can develop a habit of continual learning is by joining our 52-week essential skills course. And uh, in that we, again, I write an article on each skill. I share resources on each skill. I commit a podcast on each skill. We talk about that skill in our Facebook group. We'd more than love to have you join with us in this 2018 journey, 52-week essential skills course at Mind for Life. You can find out how to sign up for that on the website for the show notes for this program. And I want to just say thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. If you've liked this podcast, recommend it to a friend. And we will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.